0: in Jesus' name, amen. Have you ever spent time reading through someone else's mail? Uh, If you haven't, uh, I encourage you to do so. It's actually a lot of fun. (laughs) Now, I'm not suggesting that you go over to your neighbor's house and and go through their credit card bills or something like that, or their very personal, intimate letters. I'm not asking you to commit a felony. Uh, I'm just saying it can be a lot of fun to to read someone else's mail. Like, Like, for example, what I mean is something like a a letter from your grandpa as he was writing back home during World War II, or, or maybe love letters that you find while cleaning up between your parents as they were dating in college, right? These letters, reading someone else's mail, can, can give you a window into someone's life that you otherwise would never have, right? There are things you can learn by reading someone else's mail that you don't learn anywhere else, not in a, a textbook or a, even in a documentary, right? Think about World War II. You can learn a lot in a textbook. You can learn a lot in a documentary but reading grandpa's letters home it gives you a whole new perspective you get a sense of emotion and, and feeling and just day-to-day experience what he was thinking uh, what he had for breakfast right and, and so to read someone else's mail is a whole lot of fun uh, it, you learn things again that you just wouldn't learn anywhere else uh, reading someone else's mail can be fun uh, but it can also be a challenge right if you've ever tried to read through someone else's mail and it's hard i think because when you're reading letters between two people, you're kind of jumping right into the middle of a conversation that's probably been going on for, for much longer than just those particular letters, right? When your grandpa's writing home, he has a relationship with the people he's writing to. and So as you read those letters, there are things that might sound awfully important to your grandpa that just don't seem all that relevant to you. There'll be names and dates and places that maybe you've never even heard of that make no sense to you. You'll be left scratching your head like, what is grandpa talking about? Same goes for uh, the letters between your parents, right? Maybe they have some cute little pet names for each other and you wish you hadn't heard them but you don't know what they mean, maybe uh, that's okay. Uh, Reading a letter between two people, it, it can be difficult. There might be little inside jokes that you just don't understand. And again, that's because you're jumping right into a, a relationship that's been taking place for, for a while now. And so reading someone's mail, it can be fun, but it can also be challenging. It takes some detective work. Now, I, I promise there's a purpose to this. Um, and I only bring it up because that's, that's what we're going to be doing for the next few weeks as we walk through the book of Romans together. We are quite literally going to be reading someone else's mail. We're going to be reading a letter from from Paul, a a first-century apostle, pastor, church planner, and missionary, that he was writing to a a group of Christians in the city of Rome. It was a letter that he was writing to them. Uh, It was not a theological textbook, right? Not a a book that was written in order to answer every one of the questions that you have about God and how to live in his kingdom. And, And because of that, it might be frustrating sometimes. There are things that Paul is not going to say that we wish he would have said, that we feel like maybe we would have said if we were Paul. Uh, But again, Paul is not writing uh, a theological textbook to answer your question. He's writing a letter to some particular Christians in a particular time and place to answer some of the questions and issues that he thinks that they need to have answered and addressed." Uh, This is someone's mail that we're jumping right into the middle to. And I I promise you it's going to be fun and enlightening and eye-opening. Because this letter is not like most of our letters, right? This is a Holy Spirit penned and inspired letter. Between a Holy Spirit-inspired Christian uh, to another group of Holy Spirit-filled people in, in Rome. And, and so we're going to get a beautiful personal glimpse into Paul's life and, and the life of the Roman Christians. We're, we're going to watch as, as Paul addresses some of their issues and, and applies the gospel to their context. Uh, we're going to learn names of, of people, uh, that, of real Christians that lived so long ago. It's going to be fun and exciting and eye-opening, uh, but it's not going to be without its challenges. Are there are going to be some things Paul talked about that just don't make sense to us. Things that seem awfully important to him that don't seem important to us today. There are going to be places and names of people that we don't even know how to pronounce. And, and so it's, it's fun, eye-opening, enlightening the next few weeks, but we're going to have to do some detective work. And, and we're going to walk through that together. I promise you that we'll be blessed as we do this. I figured maybe a good way for us to get started is just to give you some of that context happening around this letter to make it a little easier for us to walk through together. So Paul is writing this particular letter, again, to the church in Rome, a church he's never been to, never visited. He's been a lot of places on his missionary travels, but hasn't made it as as far out as Italy yet, as far as as Rome. And he's writing to these these Christians he's never met, but will soon uh, be at, uh, to, to prepare for his upcoming visit. Uh, now, the, the church in Rome was most likely small, probably not that much bigger than a hundred people, who were gathering in different houses, different house churches. The, the, the churches there were comprised of a mixed group, you could say. What I mean by that, there were some Jewish Christians, some people who had grown up in the Jewish faith and traditions, but had come to see the Messiah in the person of Jesus of Nazareth. And then there were some Gentile Christians, uh, Christians who, who uh, didn't have a connection to the uh, Old Testament scriptures in, in faith, but had come to see their hope and life and salvation to Jesus. Uh, that's the, the context uh, that Paul is writing to. Now, one important uh, historical note we need to be mindful of is that the Jewish people in Rome for five years had been kicked out of town, expelled from Rome. It seems like the Emperor Claudius thought that the Jewish people were just causing too much trouble. Uh, for him and so he told him to get lost you can't be here. Now by the time Paul is writing this letter the Rome the, the Jews have been allowed back but in the meantime this has created some tensions. The the Jewish or the Gentile Christians, the Gentile Christians have kind of established themselves in, in Rome. And, uh, and and when the Jews come back there's a rift. Uh, what was meant to be a united church, one church, has has faced some division and they see themselves maybe more like two than one. If you had asked the Roman church, who are you? Right, you, you might have got two different answers. Half the group would have said, We're we're Gentiles, we're free from all of those stuffy Old Testament rules and commands and, and laws. We've moved beyond all that. And then you would have had the Jewish Christians, right? And and they would have been awfully proud of their heritage. They were the chosen people of God. They had received the scriptures, the prophets had spoken to them, they had obeyed the commands and been faithful to the traditions. And, and that was important to them. And each group had come to see their personal expression of, of the gospel, of their faith, as, as the way. And so the issue for Paul in writing this letter, he's not writing to unsaved heathens, right? He's not writing to people who don't know about Jesus. This church had been established for some time. The problem was that they had become, they had come to be disunited, divided. And he's writing to them to remind them of who they are, of what the most important thing is, of what makes them one. Now, uh, for Paul, at the very heart of who he was and who he wants the the Romans to see themselves as, is is this word, gospel. Uh, This word, gospel, is repeated four times in our reading for today. So, whatever it is, it's awfully important. Now, now Paul will go on to spend the rest of the letter talking about this gospel, what it is and how it's changed him and the the Christians there, and, and the practical implications of the gospel, on their lives. That's what the whole letter is about. Um, but quite literally, the word gospel, it's in our English word gospel, comes from a couple of old English words, God spell, which you might know means quite literally good news. So f- for Paul, the very heart of who he is and what it means to be a Christian is good news, that, that he has received good news, and, and not just good news, but the best of news, life-altering news, and it is this good news which has changed everything for him and for the Christians in Rome, and he wants to remind them of that. At the heart of who they were is good news people, gospel people. And, and what is this good news? Well, let's just cut to it. It's not some abstract idea. It's not just a theological term that the good news they've been given is not a to-do list of, of things they have to accomplish. It's, it's a person. The, the good news, the best of news, is Jesus. Paul is reminding them of, of who makes them who they are. And it's all about God's Son, Jesus Christ. Jesus, in our passage for today, is mentioned seven times in the short reading we had Jesus is very clearly at the heart of everything. And so, the way that Paul and God, therefore, would have us and the, the Christians in Rome answer that question who are you? is Jesus. Now, that might sound a little wrong to you, and I don't mean to suggest that you or I are the Savior of the world, but Jesus is everything to us, isn't he? It's Jesus who makes us who we are. We are not our own. We belong to him. We are meant to find our identity in Jesus, our hope in Jesus, our tomorrow in Jesus, our today in our Jesus by, by the relationship of trust that we have with Jesus called faith. Uh, we are made righteous. We are cleansed. We we have our salvation. We are Jesus people. That's who we are. He's everything. And if the Romans or if you and I have lost sight of that, well, well, today God is bringing us back to the very core of who we are. We are Jesus' people. I don't know if you've ever had an identity crisis maybe you have like one day you came home with a new convertible in the driveway or a motorcycle in the garage things you never would have spent money on before now uh, are very important to you or, or maybe one day it's like a, a shipment of amazon boxes full of uh, exercise equipment because you're really into fitness now or, or all sorts of new kitchen gadgets and gear because you're going to become a a chef right i don't know if you've gone through a crisis like that i, I don't know that i've had a crisis per se but probably like most of you i i've, I've My whole life been kind of figuring out who I am and what makes me who I am, and and I remember even thinking about this from a young age, right? Because even when you're little, people are asking you, "What do you want to be when you grow up?" And so you start to think about it, right? And I remember thinking I was going to be an author and an illustrator, a chef and a magician. Uh, Half the year I was going to be an NBA basketball player, the other half I was going to play professional soccer, right? I had all these ideas of who I was going to be and what made me who I am. But but today, Paul is bringing us back to that foundational identity. He's bringing us back to the very heart of who we are. We are gospel people, good news people, Jesus people, because Jesus has done for us everything we need. He lived, and he died, and he rose so that we may be made righteous, so that we might be rescued from all of the bad news of sin in this world, so that we might be set free, but also so that we might be made one. I don't know that there could be a more applicable book. Uh, Of course, all of the Bible applies to our life. It all says something about us. But we live in a world full of division and disunity, don't we? I mean, the easy example to pick on would be our, our politics. Uh, we live in a country that is meant to be one, founded on these amazing ideals that, that should draw us together. A liberty and justice for all. We're the, the land of the free and the home of the brave. And, and yet all too often we don't live as one, but but two. We have these two groups, these two parties that each think, and no matter where we fall in between, that, that we are expressing those American values in, in the right way. And maybe even the only way. And and you know, it's not just politics, right? Our world is so divided in so many ways, even sometimes in churches. We don't see ourselves as one united church, uh, but as two or three or four or many churches. That's why we all need to be brought back to the heart of it all, to the gospel, to the good news, to Jesus. Because again, he is your hope. He is your righteousness. In him we find our identity, and he is what makes us one. In Jesus' name, amen.